something I want to do today, I know um, we don't always acknowledge all the Methodist holidays, uh, or, or liturgical days, I should say, uh, but one I know that you have honored here is All Saints Day. And All Saints Day is a day where usually where we remember those that have passed that were partners of the church or belong to the church. But it's my understanding we did not have anybody directly as a partner or attender of the church that passed away. But it's been an eventful year. I know that there are several, and I hesitate to name a few because I might draw, or leave somebody out, but I know there's several people in the church that have lost loved ones, like Pastor David, his, his father, and I know others have passed away. Uh, so we want to uh, do kind of a makeshift um, All Saints Day before I get to the sermon. So let me find my stuff. I'm going to light two candles today as we remember. One is going to be, the first, is going to be for those maybe family members, dear friends of us or people we know directly or indirectly in the church, um, for those that we have lost this last year. And that's this first candle that I light. The second candle, in light of 2020, is going to be for all of those in our country, around the world, that have lost their lives and family members to the COVID virus. And not just them, but those, um, those that, obviously them, those that directly have been effective and had lost loved ones, but for the many that were indirectly affected, either through suicide or addiction or loss of medical treatments, um, the, the ripples go far. And so especially I thought it was important that we take time, uh, not just to remember those that are dear to us, but those that have lost their lives uh, due to this pandemic in this last year. And for them, we light this candle. A word of grace for us gathered here and at home. Eternal God, we praise you for your great company of all those who have finished their course in faith and now rest from their labors. We praise you for those who are dear to us, who we mention in our hearts now before you. To all of these, grant your peace. Let perpetual light shine upon them and help us so to believe where we have not seen that your presence may lead us through our years and bring us at last with them into the joy of your home, not made with hands, but eternal in heaven through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Scripture for us as we remember those that have passed and we remember Jesus' promises to us. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go and I prepare a place for you? 
And if I go and I prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. So that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way to the place where I am going. I will not leave you orphaned. I am coming to you. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you also shall live. I have said these things to you while I am still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, who the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not let them be afraid. Let us pray. God, God of love, we thank you for all with which you have blessed us even to this day, for the gift of joys in the days of health and strength, for the gifts of your abiding presence and promise in the days of pain and grief. We praise you for home and for friends and for our baptism and place in your church with all who have faithfully lived and died. Above all else, we thank you for Jesus, who knows our griefs, who died our death, and rose for our sake. It is in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, let's transition to our message today. And as you know, we are in a series on the inequity of grace, how grace in this world seems unfair. And up until this point, we have kind of focused on the fact of uh, the injustice, at least by the world standards, how grace does not seem fair. We've talked about the woman caught in adultery, and she was forgiven, and she wasn't condemned. We talked about the prodigal son who disrespected his father, and yet he was forgiven, and he was loved. But Today, a little bit, I want to talk about the power, the power of the inequity of grace and how that has the power to, to crush us, but crush us in a good sense so that we might be raised and changed and transformed. And so we want to look today at Peter's story. In John 21, beginning in verse 15, we read, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. This is the word of God for the people of God. 
So last week we talked about the difference between high anthropology and low anthropology and I had a lot of conversations and um, I'm not going to get sidetracked into talking about that again, but it's very important to the understanding of the gospel and who we are. It is the foundation of why Jesus went to the cross, of why we need a savior, of why we need grace. It's to understand that low anthropology basically is Romans 5 that says, all have sinned, all fall short of the glory of God. And if we ever need a reminder that it's all people, all we have to do is look at God's people in the Bible. Now, I had the privilege, I don't know if it's a privilege, but God takes all things and make it a blessing that I didn't become a Christian until my early 20s. And in my early 20s, all I had was a, a very distant view, a very kind of wrong view, but a secular view of Christianity. And that is that there are great men of the Bible, right? And you hear names like Abraham, and you hear names like David, and the Apostle Peter, and the Apostle Paul. And so when you come into the faith and you begin to read about these people, you say, what? I don't get it. I mean, they lied to, Abraham lied about his wife. I mean, there's always, I mean, David broke every commandment there was. Paul killed and persecuted Christians. And then Peter, at Jesus' biggest time of need, Denied him three times. I was like, man, these, this is the group of people that God used to further his message and to further his, the salvation of all creation? Well, yeah, that's all he had, right? Because all have sinned, all fall short of the glory of God. God uses what he has. That's to the greatness and the glory of God. Not that we're so great. It's the very fact that we're not that we can testify that God's greatness. Right? And so we see it now in this story of Peter. This, the, the, the movement of grace. The power of grace. See, Peter, Jesus had an important position for Peter in the church, an important job. He was going to be one of the pillars of the early church, one of those that initiated and started the early church. But in his raw form, Jesus couldn't use him. I mean, we, we know the stories of Peter. Peter wanted to be a leader more than anything else. And Jesus needed him, wanted him, picked him to be a leader. But Peter had to change. He had to transform. Because Peter, as you read the Gospels, he's trying, but he just can't get over himself. Peter was reliant on Peter. And he wanted his leadership to be about Peter. But he had to change. He just constantly, he was getting out in front of Jesus. Right? When he asked him, what do the people say about me? And who I am, and, and, and Peter says, you are the Messiah, the Son of God. And then Jesus begins to tell him, well, I'm going to go, have to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to uh, have to suffer, and I'm going to die. And Peter said, never! Right? Now, Peter, not in, what did Jesus say to him? You're thinking not in the things of God, but the things of humans. Because what did, Peter, what did Jesus essentially say? that he's going to have to die and be raised on the third day. He described the gospel and the salvation of all humanity. 
And Peter said, I'm never going to let that happen. Right? He, he, he didn't understand what was going on because he was so eager to get out there. And Jesus begins to teach him when it's close to his crucifixion. And, Jesus, and Peter says, oh, I will never let that happen. I will die for you. And that's when Jesus said, you're going to deny me three times. And what did Peter do? The guy that wanted to be Jesus' right-hand man, the guy that wanted to be a leader more than anybody else, denied him not once, not twice, three times in his hour of need. Fast forward to our text today. Our scene on the beach. Peter there in his huge, obvious, undeniable failure. And he meets the resurrected Jesus. And Jesus has to reinstate him, but he needs to make sure it, it has taken. And so he asked him three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter's so overwhelmed with guilt and failure, inadequacy, that he just is frustrated. He goes, yes, I, you know that I love you. You know all things. Jesus said, all right, feed my sheep. You see, in the world, it would be totally justified if Jesus didn't receive him back, if Jesus banished him, if Jesus didn't use him. That, that would make sense, right? Somebody for, uh, let, forsaken me like Peter did Jesus, like, hey, I don't know if I can trust you. But Jesus was in the midst of a process, the transformation of Peter. See, as I said, Peter's problem with himself was with himself, his own ego, his own pride, his own self-reliance, his own self-righteousness. And God, Jesus can't use that. Because first, before you become a leader in Jesus' kingdom, first and foremost, you have to become a follower. So that we're not leading on our own, but we're leading on the power of God, on the wisdom of God, on the power of the Holy Spirit. And so he needed to be a follower. And unfortunately, like most of us, he needed to be broken a little bit. I heard a pastor say once, God never used a person in the Bible. He didn't have to break first. And he has to break us of us. And so this was Peter's moment. In a, in a situation that called for condemnation, called for judgment, Peter was crushed by the inequity of grace that Jesus poured upon him. And that's not a bad thing. Because what was crushed was his ego, was his pride, was his self-reliance, his self-righteousness. Everything that needed to go in order to follow Jesus. Remember Jesus said in the Gospels, those that want to really find their life in me, they must lose their life first. 
And there in the overwhelming power of grace, Peter was crushed and broken. And Jesus raised them back up. He said, okay, we got work to do. And it's grace that transforms us. It's grace that crushes us. It is grace that speaks to us, that overwhelms us. I think I've told you in here before, um, I would like to think uh, that I can give a good theological, philosophical uh, presentation of Scripture and the Bible. And I'd like to think that I have at certain times. But you know what? That has never brought anyone to Christ. Hmm, that was a good presentation. I think I'll give my heart to Christ. But I've seen plenty of people. And the best example is in prison ministry, Kairos, that I worked. I see hardened criminals that deserve, uh, by their own words, where they are for what they did. But you get a hundred strangers inside and out coming in, making them meals, serving them hand and foot, praying for them, speaking to and loving on them, just pouring grace upon it. And you see people just crushed under the weight of grace and mercy and love. What's that old, I can't remember her, her name, but it's an old song. I think she was a theologian. Hurt so good. That was way back, old reference, right? But it's grace that crushes us in a beautiful way that we might be raised up in the image of Christ. And the transformation comes because it's not based on law or self-reliance. It's based on love. What did Jesus ask him? Will you mess up again? Are you going to fail again? Is that ever going to happen again? Are you going to let me down again? Now, Jesus knew the answer to that. For Peter and for me and for you. Yes, I'm going to. He didn't even ask that because it's not based on that. Following Jesus isn't based on that. He said, do you love me? Because that's what we need to be followers of Christ. That we love him with all our heart, with all our mind, and with all our soul that we love him beyond our own abilities, beyond our own understanding, beyond our own uh, mistakes and falling short, that in all things, we love him with all our mind, body, and soul. If we do that, Jesus says, I can work with that. One of my favorite scriptures when Jesus was reprimanding the Pharisees in Matthew 23 it, it, it's a foundational scripture for me. And Jesus says, oh, you Pharisees, you know, the, the, the outside of your cups are beautiful and shiny, but the inside of your cup is dirty. See, Jesus knows that we're all not perfect. Some of us might not know that, but Jesus knows that. And I thought about that scripture when I was a young Christian, and I thought if you took a cup that was filthy and dirty on the inside and on the outside, and you, and you stuck it in, and you just wanted to clean the outside so it was pristine, you couldn't see on the inside, you could stick it in a, a sink of water and clean the outside so it was beautiful if you looked at it from the outside. But inside, it was unusable. 
And then I thought about it again on the reverse, right? What if you took that cup and you say, my goal is to clean the inside. I'm not going to touch the outside. I'm just going to wash what I need to make it clean on the inside and usable. You could do that and there could still be some grime on the outside. It could still be a little dirty on the outside, but you could still use it. That's what we are. My cup's cleaner on the outside than it used to be, but it's not perfect. There's still some stains, a little bit here and there, but Jesus is worried about the inside. If you clean the inside, the outside will come. And God does that by his grace, his overwhelming. That's why we say grace is amazing. If we can't sing that song and, and, and understand how amazing grace is, then we have lost some of the power of grace. It is the forgiveness, especially, especially when we don't deserve it, that crushes us and transforms us into who God calls us to be. And we are supposed to love others as Christ loves us. We are supposed to go out into the world and show forgiveness and mercy and grace. That's the power of grace. It is the power of grace. The, the law can't do it. I can't do it. We can't do it from the outside. It's got to be done from the inside by the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of grace. And the more we don't deserve it, the more powerful it is. That's the power of the inequity of grace. So as we come to communion, let us remember that Jesus went to the cross. He gave his life that we might have life. He allowed himself to die and be resurrected, not for, himself, for his self alone, but that we might be able to die to ourselves when we give ourselves to him. We say, I no longer want my will or my own ability or my own righteousness. I want your faithfulness, your power, your righteousness. And it is through the act of the cross, his sacrifice, death and resurrection, that we are raised to new life. And that is grace. When you see Jesus on the cross, that is grace. That is love. As we go into communion, I want to share a story about a monk way back in the 18th, 17th, 16th sounds better, 16th century, right? And he went all throughout the town that he was going to preach on the love and grace of Jesus Christ. And so people were excited, and he said it was going to be after dark, and so there were people gathered throughout the sanctuary, the church, and they were waiting and waiting until it got finally dark, almost pitch black dark, and the monk comes in with a candle, and it was a crucifix with Jesus hanging on the cross, and he, was, he, he went up, and he put the candle on his nail, the nails in his hand. On both sides. And then he put the candle in the, in the hole in his side. And then he put his candle and lit up the nails in his feet. 
and he left. That was his message about the love and grace of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Dear Lord, as we come to your table, I pray that you would speak to our hearts, that your Holy Spirit would speak to us about your love and your grace and your mercy. May the power and amazing power of your grace crush us, break us, that we might be raised to new life that we might be transformed as Peter was transformed, that you can use us in ways that we could never imagine. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.